Welcome to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney, alongside my co-host, Matt Miller. Every business day, we bring you interviews from CEOs, market pros, and Bloomberg experts, along with essential market-moving news. Find the Bloomberg Markets Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and at Bloomberg.com slash podcast. All right, Adam Gold, founder and chief investment officer at Katam LLC, joins us. Adam, I'm looking at a market, the S&P, you know, let's call it a correction off you know, at or about 10%, the uh, NASDAQ off at or about 15%. If I'm a buy the dipper, is this my time to buy? Good morning, guys. Thanks for having me. Uh, that's always the, the trillion-dollar question, and the answer is you just never know where the bottom is. Uh, there's, the pendulum has certainly swung. We're, we're in choppy waters right now. There's, uh, there's a lot of issues here. Every other guest talks about it. In the long term, I think this is an incredible opportunity to be buying great companies that are uh, off significantly. But, you know, when we start, we went from a correction to a bear market in the NASDAQ. If you look back to November, where uh, on November 22nd, the market fell 3% from the highs to the lows that day. And that's uh, really sort of started this downward. So now we're almost off 20% on the NASDAQ. We don't know where the low can be. But if you look out over time, we think this is a great opportunity. So um, a great opportunity, though, for, for what is the question? How do you screen for the companies that you want to buy? How do you make those decisions? It, absolutely. Fundamentals matter uh, significantly, especially in, when you're in sort of down markets and, and balance sheets get uh, looked at. We've, um, one of my old bosses said, in bull markets, it's all about the income statement, revenue, right? EV to sales, multiples, et cetera, and profits are insignificant. Uh, when you come on the way down, of course, balance sheets matter, cash positions, real profits and we've seen that. So we think what we've done for clients the last few months has moved out of, which has been very helpful, moving out of unprofitable companies. Uh, and that's you've seen a lot of um, other guests talk about the Kathy Wood type names, the Arc Universe, selling profitable positions, the companies like Apple's the world, the mega cap techs that are profitable that can buy back stock to buy unprofitable companies. And that's been a very you know bad. Uh, direction the last few months. So we think we've, we've screened out a lot of those companies. We don't know where the lows may be. We say that, again, near term. Like we're, we think long term as a secular investor. What are the big trends that are going to happen over the next five or ten years? I think the markets, what gives us our, our job is that markets are very sort of near term, almost cyclical obsessed. And, and we think that's the real opportunity here. So um, we think there's incredible companies in technology. That's the sector we focused on for our entire career, 20-plus years. It's proven to be a great place to be. We think that will be a better place to be in the next 20 years than it, than it is today. There's just periods here where, where certain sectors fall out of favor. So on the tech side, you know, when you've got a name like Facebook, which had been such a strong performer for so many uh, investors, but it's down 40% year-to-date off about 25% over the trailing 12 months, so when you look at a name like that, what do you, what do you think? Yeah, there's a couple big issues there. Um, we, we've been a, lo a long-term shareholder since the IPO. We'll never forget the day that the IPO shares locked up. Yeah. Um, at the six-month mark, Peter Thiel famously sold every single share he had, uh, about a billion dollars worth, around 18. So he cost himself $10 billion by being somewhat uh, short-sighted there, and he's actually just left the board. But, um, you know, over time, they've done an incredible job growing their business. They're very profitable, but they're making a major pivot. And that pivot is uh, a couple areas. One is they're investing um, into new products, which don't have as much ad units behind them, which is something like a TikTok-type Reels product. So they're having a change. They're sort of, sort of trying to change the engine mid-flight here, which is always very challenging. They're trying to change their ad products and their core business. 
uh, which faces some competition from other apps and time spent. And then they're tr- they actually literally changed the name of their company to focus on the future hardware business, which is where they want to go from 2D screens to 3D screens. And they spent $10 billion and lost a lot of money there. And they finally split out that segment, which is their, um, their hardware AI initiatives, as well as um, Oculus, VR, AR. And, and that's a long time away. So you've got a really tough combination of slowing growth and rising expenses. And that's why, you know, the stock has fallen so significantly, because that's a bad combination for investors. Don't they also, I mean, at least in the metaverse, aren't they going to have significant competition from companies that haven't happened to change their names to meta platforms? Sure. Well, we, we, we own NVIDIA. Uh, we own Microsoft. We own a lot of the companies that we think are going to benefit from a move away from screens, and Apple as well. I mean, they're the biggest, um, they're, they're the unknown at the moment, but they have the largest, one of the, you know, the best, Google's the largest user base of mobile devices. Apple's second, but in terms of higher value customers and profits, Apple's the clear leader. Those two companies will make, um, you know, potentially incredible moves there, and given their size and scale. So, yes, it's an absolutely, uh, you know, competitive landscape. But an omniverse or the metaverse as a concept is a connection of, you know, a lot of different worlds together um, where people are going to spend more time, uh, you know, beyond their screens potentially. So you know, we think there's room for all of them to intermix. Um, but, yes, it's definitely – they have no – you know, Zuckerberg has done an incredible job growing against with, – you know, without having control of his platforms. And he tried to launch a phone a few years ago, did not work. Bezos did as well, also failed. But he wants to control his hardware and his software. That's something that Apple has famously done with the software, hardware, and services connection. Uh, and so he's trying to do that. He's making big, bold bets. And so he really wanted to let his employees know this is the way we're going to be moving. So we think over the next you know, several years, as more of these products come out, we'll get a better sense of what, um, what they're doing. They're actually having an AI right. uh, demo day today. So we'll, see what, we'll watch that after this. All right, Adam, thanks so much uh, for taking the time out and chatting with us. Adam Gold, founder and chief investment officer for Katam LLC, talking to us uh, about these markets. Still likes the, the tech story uh, um, as opposed to some of the cyclical names, the energies, the banks that have performed well on a reopening type of trade. He's sticking with technology at that firm. Let's continue that discussion on retail with Mari Shore, Senior Equity Analyst at Columbia Threadneedle. Mari, we've come through with most of the earnings here, a lot of the earnings. How is the consumer faring? I think overall the consumer is is faring much better than expected. We, de- we did see in the retail sales numbers and hear from the companies at the very end of the holiday was a little bit weaker, but that was attributed to Omicron-related traffic pressure. And since the middle of January, we have seen traffic and sales improve, which I think is very encouraging, especially given the very tough compares that so many companies are up against. I think another really big takeaway is given the strong underlying health of the consumer, the companies are very confident in their ability to continue to take price despite the fact that inflation continues to build. Yeah, I was going to ask about what what effects has that had, Mari? Uh, um, The inflation numbers are eye-popping. I don't know what... um, what Paul paid for his Elton John tickets last night, but I'm going to guess it was a lot more than he would have paid yep. a couple of years ago. And, this, and the steak before at Keen's. Yep. At steak as well. Yeah, food inflation um, as well as, uh, in, you know, um, experiences <laughs> and stuff. It just costs a lot more. How, how are consumers dealing with that? Surprisingly well. 
speaking to the companies, and these are companies with exposure to all different categories, everything from food to handbags, the companies are not seeing any real pushback to their pricing efforts or any real evidence of trade down. But they are all saying that if this level inflation continues, then they would expect to see trade down and greater focus of spending on needs over wants. But right now, we are not seeing that in the current sales trends. Mari, what are the the retailers saying about the supply chain? Are they able to get stuff on the shelves? Do they expect it to get better or worse? Or what are they saying? I think that Omicron delayed the normalization of the supply chain a little bit. Um, but... And and most of the companies, I think, are taking a more conservative view and expecting the freight cost pressure to continue through the full year. But that really reflects the fact that demand is so strong and they are having to to chase sales, and that is coming at a greater cost. But as it relates to inventory, they have all taken action to – pull forward inventory receipts. And so when it when it comes to the inventory that you might see on the shelves of the stores, you should see that in a very good condition. Yep. And I think it could even continue to improve further as we move through the year. All right, Mari, thank you so much for joining us, getting us uh, an update here on all things retail and on the consumer. And as Mari was saying, consumer continues to be uh, strong in this economy. Mari Shore, Senior Equity Analyst at Columbia Threadneedle Investments, uh, giving us the latest here. Steve Kane, co-CIO and Generalist Portfolio Manager at TCW Investment Management. He went to the University of Chicago, got his MBA there, Matt, which means he understands the dura- booth, duration, the booth school convexity. Of I'm an equity guy, uh, Steve, so I really don't I didn't pay too much attention to that at business school. But you're a fixed income portfolio manager. What do you do here in a rising interest rate environment, Steve? Well, uh, hopefully uh, you had your duration short uh, going back a year or so, which uh, we were fortunate to to do. But I would say that, um, you know, things are getting a little bit more interesting in the fixed income world from a, a value perspective. And I think where we, you know, along the uh, the rate environment, we uh, we think the front end of the curve is starting to look interesting. A 162 year that discounts eight Fed tightenings over the next, uh, you know, 15 months or so uh, looks reasonable. Now, when you look out the curve, we're not as excited. You know, a sub 2% 10 year and uh, uh, 30 year just beyond, uh, you're, you're just not getting much term premium or really getting paid for your risk out the curve. So, in general, what we tell investors is keep your duration short, keep keep your focus on the on the front end of the curve. So, um, if we get eight rate hikes or more, would that surprise you then? No, not at all. I mean, the the Fed is. I mean, of course, it depends on what happens with inflation and with the economy and all that, but. You know, our view is inflation is going to run hot, uh, certainly for the balance of this year and maybe well into next year, given what we're seeing in the labor market and with wages, uh, certainly energy prices feeding into that as well. Um, yeah, no, the Fed is, uh, you know, almost regardless of what happens with you know, Russia and Ukraine or even the stock market, the Fed's locked into a tightening path here, um, given the high level of inflation and the fact that they really need to uh, begin to get to work to um, uh, address that. Steve, what does history have to tell us about the ability of the Fed to fight inflation? I kind of feel like inflation is just because we, there's a bunch of ships off the port of Long Beach and the 
ports are clogged and there's nobody to move this stuff and there's no truckers. And what can the Fed really do there? Uh, the Fed can do nothing. That's <laughs> about what I think. <laughs> lined up, lined up outside of ports. There's, there's absolutely nothing they can do. The, the Fed can really just, through monetary policy, uh, affect financial conditions and the demand side of the economy through, uh, through interest rate sensitive sectors of the economy, which means they're, they, they have a very blunt in- instrument, um, as we all know, in terms of dealing with uh, uh, inflation, and inflation works with a lag. So the sort of unfortunate thing from uh, an inflation forecasting standpoint is even though they are going to be hiking, the impact of those hikes um, is going to affect the economy with a lag and then inflation with even a further lag. So uh, it's, it's not going to uh, really have an immediate effect on, um, on the supply side of the economy at all. How important is it to get the rest of um, the FOMC uh, confirmed? Um, I don't think it really matters all that much. I mean, the, you have your big three in place, Powell, Brainerd, and, and Williams, the uh, uh, Fed president uh, of the New York Fed. And uh, I don't think they need a, a full uh, uh, a slate of uh, Fed governors and, and presidents to necessarily uh, make decisions. So I think, you know, yes, it would be nice, but I don't think it's going to affect in any way their, their policymaking decisions. Steve, you know, when the Fed made this pivot to a more hawkish stance, I think the market was talking about three rate increases, now potentially as many as seven. How do you feel about that discussion point of, is the Fed behind the market? Are they trying to play catch up? How do you think about that? Yeah, I think they are. And I think what happened is, you know, they they, uh, went with the transitory supply bottleneck view for a while. And I think what changed is they began to see tightness in the labor market. And um, you know, unemployment at 4% and wages rising very quickly and sort of forward-looking indicators like the quits rate at historical highs, people leaving their job voluntarily, all suggest that uh, this is more than a temporary phenomenon, that it's, you know, it's uh, affected the labor market. And I think the Fed is behind the curve, uh, in fact, and um, because, you know, wages uh, in the employment market do not react quickly to changes in interest rates. So, again, it's going to be some period of time and some amount of Fed tightening and slowing in the economy before you see an impact on uh, on the labor market. All right, Steve, thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Uh, always love talking to the folks at TCW. Get this, $225 billion in fixed income assets. I mean, that is a meeting. When you go to LA to see clients, you got to lock down that TCW meeting first and foremost. talk about the workplace here we've we've talked a lot about the great resignation four to five million folks leaving in the workforce let's get a handle on what it means for women are they a part of that are, are they representative of part of that great resignation and will they come back to the workforce tara j frank president and ceo of tfj career modeling joins us tara thanks so much for joining us talk to us about women in the labor force as we enter into year three of this pandemic Hi there. Thanks for having me, first of all. Um, Yeah, very good question. When you ask about whether women are engaged in the Great Resignation, they're actually leading uh, the Great Resignation. And to put a finer point on it, women of color uh, are actually leading the Great Resignation. And there are a lot of reasons for that. Um, I think, one, when we think about the pandemic and the pressure that has put on so many people, it also kind of enabled, especially women of color, to have uh, virtual safe spaces, right, where they weren't necessarily having to deal with some of the things, microaggressions, et cetera, that they may have been dealing with in the workplace. 
clearly the last couple of years have given people a little bit more flexibility and, and the opportunity to combine work and life in ways that, that gave them right. a sense of harmony. So, yeah, most definitely. That would explain for sure um, how it's easier for women of color to work from home um, or how it's, um, you know, not as difficult when it comes to the kind of racism um, or sexism that they may face in the workplace. But I wonder about those who've left the workforce. Have they left because, you know, out of choice, because they wanted to, because now, you know, I don't know, retirement funds uh, went up with the stock market or they found a way to make it work on um, less pay or, or have they left because they had to? Those who've left, have they left because they needed to take care of children, take care of their elders, etc.? Well, some are leaving the workforce as we define it traditionally, but they're not necessarily leaving work. Right. So I think we have a couple of different facets of this. Yes, some are leaving the workforce because they're having to manage so many more factors, um, but others are leaving companies, not necessarily the workforce or working in general. Right. They're creating new avenues um, of income in partnership with other people, uh, with their own kind of creativity and ideas. But, yeah, they're leaving the traditional workforce as we know it um, and, and really just trying to manage life. So what are we seeing in kind of the the leadership positions, uh, Tara? Because, I mean, I think whether it's gender diversity or other diverse other types of diversity, it really – I kind of feel like at the lower levels, there's pretty decent representation. But as, the higher you go, the more difficult it becomes to get real diversification. Is there some solutions out right, there the, that, that the you've pay, seen? The pay gap, if, you, if it's like for like, you know, job for job, maybe yep. that pay gap is shrinking a little bit. But I think, Tara – your your point is that if you look at the uh, unadjusted pay gap, it's still right. large because you don't see um, women, you don't see people of color in in enough uh, in, in high enough numbers right. moving into the leadership higher paid positions. Yes, that is absolutely right. So what we're ha- what we have here is essentially occupational segregation. Right, you have women in lower paying jobs. And, you know, to your question about what can we do in order to change that, I think one of the things we really need to do that leaders and companies need to do um, is certainly start capturing uh, data at deeper levels, um, but also intersectional data. So not just data about women representation, but really looking kind of all across all those dimensions of difference. They also need to get a much better sense of what's happening inside their cultures experientially, because a lot of this bias that is keeping women from being able to move higher into those uh, higher contributing positions, we're not necessarily conscious of. They have to do with things like women may not always get the same kind of coaching. Women may not always have the same degree of visibility. Women, and especially women of color, may not be being sponsored at the same rate. And a lot of this is connected to affinity bias, right? Proximity. When we have power, which is mostly white men in these organizations, yep. everything that comes with the power flows to the people who are most like us. And yep. women are not benefiting from that. Tara, thank you so much for joining us. Really fascinating uh, discussion. Tara J. Frank, president and CEO of TFJ Career Modeling. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Matt Miller. I'm on Twitter at MattMiller1973. And I'm Paul Sweeney. I'm on Twitter at PT Sweeney. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide at Bloomberg Radio.